welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Um, Good morning. Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship. I am excited for us to gather again and connect again. Wherever you're watching from, we want to uh, Chuck you to peace sign and say peace to you. If you're a believer in Christ, we say grace and peace to you, to those chosen elected. That's a huge deal for us because uh, that's the greeting that believers gave each other um, as an affirmation of their identity because they have been renewed and changed by Jesus Christ. Um, so let's go ahead and dig in today. Today, we will be continuing in our series, um, Order in the Church order in the church and we will be in just a few verses today um we'll be in verses 14 through 16 of chapter 3 uh 14 through 16 in chapter 3 um let's read it says paul says i write these things to you hoping to come to you soon but if i should delay I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world taken up in glory. That's all we're going to talk about today. I want to talk to you about today, concrete faith, why doctrine matters. Concrete faith, why doctrine matters matters. Let's go before God today. Father, we thank you and we bless you for the expanse of your grace. I'm hyped today um, because I want you to expand your people's bandwidth today. Uh, Some of us think of doctrine as mere abstract things, but these are the things that formulate and help us to be who we are supposed to be in you. And so God, firm us up in Jesus name and help us uh, to be Uh, who we are supposed to be in relation to biblical truth. Uh, Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and redeem in whom we trust in Jesus name. Amen. Pause right there. I need the clock running. The clock is not running right there. Is that the clock? So if you run it and then I'll, once you start running, I'll start talking again and you could just edit this part out. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. I'm excited. All right. So I grew up in the United Methodist Church and in growing up in the United Methodist Church, it had liturgy. Um, Liturgy is 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 the Greek word that means worship. The way we've extracted that term and used it um, in uh, our, our churches is not just order of worship, but things in worship that help believers get nurtured in the truths and doctrines of the faith so that the, it, can, it helps you on memory. It helps connect you to the universal church. We'll talk about that later. And it helps c- connect you to the history of doctrine. 
And so um, it was important. I remember we would sing the Gloria Papatri, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Uh, 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 as it was in the beginning, and, and, and as it was in the beginning, uh, world without end, amen, amen. Um, I mean, I remember learning, uh, 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 reciting the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Third day he rose from the dead. From then he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic, the Holy Universal Church. That's what it meant by Catholic, not Catholic denomination, but Catholic Church, the communion of saints, uh, uh, the conviction of sins, the resurrection of the body, uh, uh, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. Amen. Why is that important? Because I learned that when I was, man, I learned that 40, over 40 years ago. And the church said that every Sunday and it's still in me. And you could pretty much get your fundamental gospel doctrine, Christology, all of that just in that in those things. And I think in many ways, as I have, whether it's church discipline um, or what are things that we deal with here at Epiphany and even in the world, one of the things I'm finding out is a lot of Christians are biblically illiterate. Biblically illiterate in a way that's scary to me. Um, biblically illiterate in the sense that I get, I can, I, I've had, and this is, is, is low in numbers, we'll have people challenge me about stuff and I know they haven't read the Bible on it. I'll be like, the, what you're saying to me, rebuking me for, isn't even, do you understand that you're not even being biblical in how you're doing it, but also in the information that you're talking about? <laughs> and so, I, 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 and, and not only that, I, I think the way we process so many things in our society and so many things in our culture isn't taken through a biblical grid. It's just taken through feelings and friendships and relationships. And one of the things that you have to learn is that doctrine matters. What you believe matters as a believer. That, 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 that right there, it's not be, being, being a, a person about doctrine doesn't mean you're a Pharisee. <clears throat> Jesus didn't have a problem with a lot of the Pharisees' doctrine. He had a problem with their lives and the application of the doctrine. Jesus says, Do with, uh, 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 listen to the teaching of the Pharisees, but be careful of their faith. <laughs> Beware of their unbelief. And so um, it, it, it's not pharisaical to have standards. That's like being in a relationship with someone and someone saying, um, hey, man, I don't believe in, 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 in kissing until marriage and having sex until marriage. I want to walk with Jesus because I believe the Bible says this is what we're supposed to do in a relationship. And then the other person says, well, I, well, I just feel like, man, God will understand, you know, because, you know, we, we can slob each other down and we can do everything. But but at least we aren't having sex. And so. You know, let's just do everything but and that and, and that person being willing to bend because they go based on feelings and not doctrine. It's the same thing with Bible doctrine. And, and the other thing is, biblically, all the other stuff is immorality prior to marriage, by the way. And so if you understand your Bible. And so I, I want to challenge us today in this passage. Um, this passage is in an interesting location. You would kind of think that when why is Paul <clears throat> putting this passage right here? He puts it in between qualifications and characteristics of leaders 
and before he begins talking about what the later times will be like as it pertains to people falling away from the faith and paying attention to doctrines of demons between leadership and apostasy. Right. He puts this verse apostasy is people abandoning the faith because they no longer hold to solid doctrine and solid lifestyle. Mm, mm, mm. Help me today, God. And so and so and so for some of you, I'm going to just prepare you up front. Some of y'all are going to go to sleep and some of y'all are going to fall back from this sermon because you want a word for your life, a word in season, not realizing that all many of you. Only y'all listen to counseling sermons too much. What your destiny is going to be, what your past was like, family history stuff. That, that's fine. But it ha all of that stuff has to have a biblical doggone foundation. And you got to begin as a believer developing a robust and biblical understanding of truth so that you will not be turned away from the faith. And so when we look at this, passage, what's interesting about this passage is that many scholars believe that this was a creedal statement that Paul inserted into his letter, or it was a hymn. Now, their theology was robust. You know, these are young churches, early churches who are trying to reinforce solid truth. That's why our songs and what we, and what we present um, should be theologically robust, not theologically and biblically anemic. So that means, guess what the expectation on God is, family? That if you're on public assistance, you should be robust in your doctrine. If you're in the boardroom in Center City, you should be robust in your doctrine. If, if you do art in, 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 in Northern Liberties, you should be robust in your doctrine. Um, if you are UPS or, or, or public carrier, you should be robust in your doctrine. If you are in the health field as a Christian, you should be uh, a robust in your doctrine. If you're a first responder, you should be robust in your doctrine. If you're a chef, you should. I can go on down. There. Every sector of God's church must be men and women, men and women. Both must be robust in their doctrine and understanding the faith. So I got to move into this sermon. It's so important <laughs> for what we're talking about. Because what's interesting about this passage that we're in is Paul has packed some of the most dense theological doctrines in the Bible into the multivitamin pill of these verses. He has in here Christology, which is the study of the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has in here Ecclesiology, the study of the role and function of the church. He has in here Theology proper, the study of the nature of God. He has in here Trinitarianism, the study of the persons and functions of the Godhead. He has in here Soteriology, the study of redemption. He has in here Bibliology, the study of the canon. Missiology, the study of sharing and showing the faith. Eschatology, the study of last things leading to the return of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, this is a capsule of another discipline called historical theology. What has believers believed throughout the centuries? <coughs> and so um, I got one point today and one point only. Doctrine grounds everything. <laughs> Doctrine grounds everything. I know it's going to be amenless today, but it's all right. Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll treat this like the, like, like the, like the, uh, uh, um, 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 what'd you call the people to train trainers 
that you don't want to go to, but you know you need to go through. This, let me, let me, we, this is leg day. Okay? Let me just teach you. Let me just tell you something. This text is leg day. All right? If you ever had leg day, a real leg day, you can barely walk up the steps after leg day. But as you see the results in your life, you begin to appreciate leg day. So let's get into leg day. I should have called the sermon leg day. Let's look at verse 14. It says, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. He says, but if I have delayed, I have written <coughs> so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. I can spend the entire sermon on that verse. It's so much in there, but, but I'm not going to do that. He said, how to conduct yourselves in God's household. What is the point of this? Oikotomia, house. In other words, the church is supposed to be a household, pointing to the fact that, uh, that, 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 that we're a family, but also household code, meaning there's order in a household. So there's order and functions of every member of that particular household. And we have to understand and recognize that reality. And in understanding that we're a household, there has to be healthy expectations of family, not unhealthy expectations of family. Oh, Lord, I wish I had the time to just talk about that. <clears throat> because there are healthy expectations and unhealthy expectations. In other words, <clears throat> family has to have healthy expectations, not unhealthy expectations. We must, have, we, we, we must not have unhealthy individuality, which meaning truth is true for me. They'll put them up on the screen. <clears throat> Renegade philosophy of life. I can do life on my own. No, we're family. Frustration all the time with the local church and every little thing that's done, even in a healthy church, uh, 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 triggers past, right? Instead of seeing the health for what it is. Household of faith. <clears throat> um, uh, 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 un unhealthy expectations of discipleship. A disciple is supposed to point you to Jesus, not be Jesus. Ah, help me today, Lord. Um, unclear definition of the discipler. So discipleship must have clarity. When we talk about a household, that's our relationship with each other. Mutual community of disciples. And so in rejection of spiritual authority, we can't have that in the household of faith because you, I, I wish I would have rejected my dad's authority in the house. And he'd say, you can't live there because um, you can't be a child in the house telling dad what to do. And so I, I, I figured that I would follow along, not him manhandling us, but seeing his leadership in the home as love versus hatred. Oh, help me today. I don't have time for that today, but I wanted to give you that for free. The church of the living God. So when people say church, let's divine church. Church has two components. It's universal and it's local. It's invisible and visible. Those are, the, those are the layers of the church. Invisible, visible, universal, local. Invisible means those who've gone home to be with the Lord. Visible are those who are on the planet universally right now. <laughs> local church is a particular community of people <laughs> that are the dis mutual discipleship community under the authority of godly ordered healthy leadership under the spirit of God Jesus Christ in the center and the word of God as the metric oh help me 
<laughs> so when you look at that reality of a church, you can't say I'm the church. The Bible never says that. The Bible says you are a temple of, the, of God, but it says we are the church of the living God. <clears throat> so, so, so you individually aren't the church. So let's, let me tell you this. You can't, be a, you can't be or do the church by yourself. That, 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 you, you can't interpret the Bible by yourself. You can't grow spiritually by yourself. This is very, that's why Jesus said, if two or three are gathered in my name. The point is that the church is not made up of individuals. Uh, church isn't a, we aren't the church as an individual. We are a part of the church as pieces of the one body. <laughs> so when we talk about this church, the, the word for church means assembled ones. So when you use the word ecclesia in the New Testament, <laughs> you had to define what kind of ecclesia you were because <clears throat> there were a lot of assemblies. Even the government, uh, um, um, if they got together, we're going to have an ecclesia, right? But what, but, but, but what, 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 what happens different when it comes to the church, um, they, they had to use a, 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 a prepositional phrase to define what type of uh, 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 ecclesia they were. That's why it says ecclesia ta'u ecclesia of, of the living God or zoin se'u, ugh. Help me today. And so it's very, very important for us to understand this reality. What makes a church a church? What makes a church a church? I hope y'all are hearing me today. <laughs> what makes a church a church? A church is made up of elders, Titus 1.5, deacons, the chapter before this, a worship, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, administration, Ephesians chapter 4, and same in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, evangelism, discipleship, <laughs> must be in the church, same passage, fellowship, missions, baptism and communion, all the ordinances and signs of the new covenant, and Jesus. That's what makes a church a church. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> all of those components <clears throat> must be in place. So a church can be an independent yet accountable entity. I hope the, the people of God are hearing me. That's why I want you to put on your thinking caps today. Because I, I want you to begin having biblical views of stuff versus just making up stuff that sounds cool. I'm the church. That sounds good. No, you're not. By yourself, the church. Stop saying that. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so we, we, have, to, we have to be careful of letting cultural mantras shape what God has said in his word. That's why you need to be reading and studying your Bible, Church of the Living God. Now, he says, you are the, he talks about the Church of the Living God here in the passage. And as he begins to say <laughs> that which is the, the household, which is the Church of the Living God, God's household. It, it, then it says the pillar and foundation of truth. This is amazing. So he uses an illustration here that gives us a natural sermonic illustration in this text. Because what he does, family of God, is he tells the church that you are the pillar and foundation of truth. I wish we could, um, I wish we could uh, uh, um, scour the room. I, we, I don't want y'all to do that now, but you can scour the room. All throughout Epiphany Fellowship, Epiphany Fellowship building, this building was built 112, 117 years ago. I can't remember. It's a long time ago. It was, it was in the 1800s, more than 120-something years ago. 
And um, when they built it, they built it with 33 inches of concrete between each floor. Concrete and steel. So it'll take you a while to drill through this mug, right? But one of the things that's interesting is that there are pillars that go from floor to floor and on different floors. And those pillars are the stability structures of the building. <laughs> and if you take those pillars away as strong as the structure is, that structure will begin to collapse because that which supports supports its ability to be a structure is removed. Uh, the church of the living God is supposed to be the pillar that holds up truth in society, that holds up the structure of the truth of the word of God in the world. We are supposed to be the pillars of the heaviness of the word of God in culture. As a matter of fact, the Ephesian church would have understood this passage in an interesting way because there was a, there was a temple in their city and that temple in that city had pillars, but, but Ephesus was known for a lot of earthquakes. And what was interesting is the reason why this building would survive is because of the way the pillars were built. In other words, the, 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 the pillar of the word of the, the, the people of God holding up the truth of the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ are supposed to survive earthquakes. That means if something bad happens on a universal level with the church, we can hold the truth should be held up. If something happens in a local church community where stuff gets shaken up, the truth should be held up to hold things together. Um, foundation. Foundation is that which... Listen, this is beautiful. Foundation is that which everything's built on. What it's rooted in. It's the beauty of the church being the structural thing. One lexicon says foundation means to stiffen, to hold fast. That's what we're supposed to do as believers. <laughs> hold fast. There will be things. I believe sincerely that we're in the last days. I do. I, I do. Not just because of COVID, because of a myriad of things I'll talk about over the weeks and particularly when we get into 2 Timothy 3. There's a level of intensity of things that's happening now. I'm not saying we're in the tribulation period or anything like that. I'm, and I'm just saying I'm looking forward to the imminent return of Christ and we as believers have to be awake to what's going on. <clears throat> this is the interesting thing right now, though, in our culture. There's a philosophy, there's an idea called pluralism. Somebody say pluralism. Pluralism is interesting because there are different types of pluralism. There's a lot they're going to be putting up on the screen for y'all this time, family, um, throughout this sermon. Um, <clears throat> pluralism, what is it? A condition or system in which two or more states, groups, principal sources, or of authority coexist. Let's break that down even more. Religious pluralism. What is religious pluralism? Religious pluralism generally <clears throat> refers to the belief in two or more religious worldviews <clears throat> as being equally valid and acceptable. Uh. So that means I can burn sage to the ancestors and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. No. That means I could put salt at the front door and put, uh, uh, and put Native American relics, a dream catcher over my bed and believe that something's going to take care of me. Listen, uh, we, we have to be in this culture. 
Many of y'all are so scared of evangelism and so scared to lose your friendships that you won't you won't stand firm and lovingly challenge even your friends because you love friendship more than you love truth. Many of you love being liked and being coddled than you do communicating Christ. And listen, when you stand for the, I'm not talking about walking around being a Bible jerk, beating people over the head. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you need to love people around you enough to let them know you're not going to get absorbed into the pluralism. Listen, I, over the years, I've had friends who were homosexual, uh, people that I know that were L, in the LGBTQ community. And listen, I don't go around with them blasting them being whatever sexual preference they are. I love them and, and everything. I love them. I love them. But I disagree with it. And when the, when the opportunity comes to talk to them about it as they bring it to my attention or they want me to participate in something that I feel like will be a compromise to my faith, I say I love you, but I can't participate in that. I love you. I'm going to hug you, kiss you, love on you, all of that good stuff. But I don't hate you. But don't see my disagreement as hate. And see, in our society, people see disagreement as identity hatred. No, I, I don't hate you. I think you're a human being just like me. I just, I, I just think that you've chosen a path of life and identity that I disagree with. <laughs> you have to, in your relationships, begin to, and it's not even about necessarily drawing a line in the sand as much as it is <clears throat> being willing to stop being a sucker. Some of y'all are some gumps. Some of y'all are cowards. And you, you, love, you, you, you love being around people and them loving on you, accepting you, and taking selfies. But when you walk with Jesus Christ, there's going to be tension in relationships. Now, I'm not talking about you browbeating everybody all the time about everything. But at some point in your pluralistic environment, somebody talk about, man, I like your energy. What do you mean by that? You need to respond to that. What is energy? Well, I feel like there, the universe has vibes. You know how the universe, what's the universe? Who controls those vibes? See, I know, and you as a Christian should know, when they talk about vibes, they may not know that they're talking about the prince and power of the air, but you need to be able to have the theology to understand that and say, well, nah, I don't believe in karma. I believe in sowing and reaping in a system that's overseen, set in motion and controlled by the living God. But you, but you got to know Galatians chapter six for that. See, pluralism will allow. See, pluralism is the is your willingness to believe that these false beliefs and yours can coexist, and let's just be friends because we're all going to heaven one day. I believe a lot of people in this generation are functional universalists. I do. Like I, when I when I like when I get online and I listen, yeah, we we're basically going the same place. You just going a different route. Your GPS gone, gone, you know, gone. Out. Listen, we you, you go out to King of Prussia through 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 the back roads through Contrahoction. I'm just on. I'm on. I'm on 76. And, 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 and but but all of us are going to get there because we're just taking different routes. No, Jesus said, "I am the way, yeah, the truth, the life." Jesus does not give alternative routes. You have to understand that, family. You have to stop trying to be nice to people because you want to, it's not even being nice to people and most of all, it's not even being loving. 
Oh, man, I got too much to go over here. Whew, y'all got to pray for me. <laughs> Verse 16, he says, and most certainly <clears throat> the mystery of godliness is great. Listen to all this. You're seeing all of this in here. You see ecclesiology. Oh, God. Now you see the gospel soteriology. The mystery <clears throat> is great. Why is he talking about the mystery? Whenever you see the New Testament talk about mystery, it's talking about things that, are, that were concealed prior to Christ <clears throat> that are now revealed in Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. So God reveals mysteries. You'll see that in Ephesians a lot. He talks a lot about mystery. That's why he's talking to the Ephesians about it. <clears throat> mystery. This idea of mystery usually talks, is talking about <clears throat> the gospel and the implications of what the gospel brings as it relates to what was concealed but now revealed. Like he says <clears throat> in Ephesians that um, the relationship between Christ and the church and, and, and uh, was a mystery in relation to <clears throat> it being the reality of what a man's relationship with a woman is. <clears throat> So man and woman's relationship is an illustration of Christ's relationship with the church. He says that was a mystery, right? And so this is powerful. Now, let's go to this next thing. When we talk about mystery and reality of this, you'll see mystery real hard in Ephesians chapter 3, as a matter of fact, that we would submit to the mystery of that reality of the gospel. The gospel was a mystery that Jesus Christ was going to die on the cross. There were pointers and there were prophecies like Isaiah 53 and other things in Tanakh that would let you know that Jesus Christ was going to die. Ezekiel 36, other passages, right? <laughs> that Jesus was going to die, but it, was, it wasn't fully revealed. It was concealed, but it was prophesied. That's very important for us to understand and know. <laughs> now, he goes from there. He goes from... <laughs> Ecclesiology, y'all stay with me. This is beautiful. <laughs> I'm having fun. To soteriology, ecclesiology study the church, the structure in a structure of the church. So uh, he goes from there <clears throat> to soteriology, the study of salvation. He goes from there <clears throat> to now Christology, <clears throat> the study of Jesus Christ, his person, works, and preexistence. <clears throat> That's what that means. This is amazing. And I love this family because mm, it's good. Um, because he says he was manifested. Somebody yell manifested. Yes, yes, yes. In your living room manifest. <clears throat> this is beautiful. Because this word is a very, very powerful word. This phrase is a very, very powerful phrase. And probably one of the most important theological phrases in the passage. Because it's talking about, it, it points to a multitude of things about Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so um, he, the he matters. He, when it says he, who is he? <laughs> you got to know who he is in order to know why it matters. And so, and, 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 and so, and so, so, so who is he, Right. The Bible says manifested. It's an, it, an oh God help me. I, I, please don't let me lose you. This is an heiress passive indicative. Heiress points to the fact that it is a snapshot at one particular time in the past he manifested himself. Uh, 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 um, but, but 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 then passive means he didn't manifest on his own. So 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 this is beautiful. Manifest means can be seen 
and disclosed and displayed. Now, what's interesting about the word manifest is, is nowhere in the Bible does it talk about a human manifesting themselves or being manifested by God, <coughs> except for when it comes to Jesus, which is important because this idea of manifested points us to several things about Jesus. He, although Jesus was born, he was manifested in the flesh, meaning he preexisted the flesh. So that points us to the reality that Jesus, the, is the eternality of Jesus, pointing to the fact that Jesus preexisted the incarnation. <laughs> in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, uh, and, and, and verse 14, and the word became flesh and skeneoed, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. <laughs> if you go over to John chapter 12, <laughs> I told my discipleship group this, and Isaiah, John quotes Isaiah talking about Jesus and many miracles did he do. Then it says, in order that the word spoken by Isaiah about him might be fulfilled. <laughs> and what it says is, is it says beautifully, it says, uh, 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 who has believed our report? Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And it goes on some other stuff and it says, these things, this Isaiah, uh, this is John chapter 12. It says, these things he wrote when he spoke of his glory. Who spoke of whose glory? If you follow the pronouns in the passage, Isaiah spoke of Jesus' glory because the pronouns always uh, 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 modify the closest noun that's to it. It wasn't talking about God the Father's glory. It's talking about Jesus' glory. Now, where in the world did Isaiah see Jesus' glory? You turn over to Isaiah chapter 6, and it says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Ha'adon. I saw him high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And, and, and guess what? It says, they said, holy, holy holy is Yahweh. The whole earth is full of his kadosh. I mean, his uh, kabod, kabod. It's full of his glory. It's full of his glory. In the New Testament, his doxa. So guess who was sitting on that throne when Isaiah said he was an unworthy man to be in the room with them? It was Jesus himself. So Jesus Christ <laughs> pre-existed the incarnation. So when it says he manifested, he came to earth also <clears throat> it talks about, it points, manifested, points to the fact God sent him, John 3, 16. It also points to the fact that the spirit conceived him, <laughs> Matthew chapter one. <laughs> this good stuff. Ah. Jesus willingly submitted to the father's will. That's what it points to. He manifested himself. And so it was his incarnation. He came in his incarnation, his Human life. Oh, God, so much in this passage. <laughs> so when we point to this reality, that's why 1 John chapter 4 says, if anybody says that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh, nobody in the Bible is talking about coming in the flesh. <laughs> if you came in the flesh, it points to the fact that you preexisted your, in, from the flesh. That's why uh, 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 Paul says in 2 Corinthians, 
chapter 11, I think it's around the fourth or sixth verse. It says, if anyone comes to you preaching another Jesus, if anyone comes to you saying that Jesus was not the son of God or that Jesus became the son of God or that Jesus used to be in, he was created in eternity past. <laughs> if they say that he's Joseph, so all of that stuff, guess what? That is not the same Jesus. The Jesus that we <clears throat> preach and love is the real Jesus. Now somebody would say, well, if you don't believe Jesus is God, when you get saved, are you really saved? Yes, you can be saved. The issue is, do you progress in gospel understanding as you get revealed the doctrines of the faith? I'm alone in my excitement. But then he goes and he says this about Jesus vindicated in the spirit. <laughs> Points to the fact that Jesus wasn't guilty on the cross, although he took on our guilt. So how was he vindicated by the spirit? The spirit, this, this idea of vindication by the spirit is the idea of justification. Not that he was saved, but he was justified because he was not he was not guilty of the sin that was placed on him, but he was a, 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 a sacrifice for our sin. And guess what it means, what it points to? It points to, his points is that Jesus took on our guilt, but wasn't personally guilty. So guess what? <laughs> this is beautiful, y'all. Jesus claims to participate in his own resurrection. John chapter 2, 19 and 10, 18. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, 11, and the Father participated as well, Acts chapter 2, verse 24. This is important, y'all, all that I'm telling you. Why am I telling you all of this? This is, this is good stuff. This is, now we've gone to the gospel, right? A soteriology again. Then it says, seen by angels. Then it says, preached among nations, pointing to the fact that God wants all people to be, all nations to hear the gospel, be exposed to the gospel so that he can have representatives of himself from all the nations, believed on in the world, showing the fact that the way you're saved is through Jesus plus nothing. Taken up in glory, talking about his ascension to heaven and ultimately his return. Why did Paul put this here? Because he wants, and we should as believers, want to be solid in our faith. Solid in the text and solid on the fundamentals of the faith. You know, one of the things that the writer of Hebrews says, and I quote this all the time, he says, y'all should have been, he, was, he, he used country Hebrew, uh, Greek language, y'all, you plural, should have been, y'all should have been, teachers by now, but now you need someone to teach you the elementary principles. In chapter six of Hebrews, he begins to walk through what those elementary truths are, and some of those are the ones right here in this passage. Why is that important? Because you need to pay attention to doctrine and understand your word. Why wouldn't you want to know the one who saved you from your sin? Why would you want to not want to know everything about him? So when y'all dating somebody, y'all be wanting to know everything about him. I like, I want to, I want to, I want to know, you know, dude be like, girl, I want to know everything. You know, we try to drop our, our tone, you know, tell me everything about you, girl. Um, I want to know everything about you. Tell me about your, your family. You know, I want to know, want to know you, girl. 
I want to know you. <laughs> I want to know all I can about you, you know. She said, tell me about your life. I want to hear about your life. I want to hear about what's on your mind. And you know, men, we not naturally, most of us, not like some of us are like that. But most of us like feel nagged. But we submit to wanting to be known because we want to be in relationship with that person. Why wouldn't you do that with Jesus Christ? Why wouldn't you do that with Jesus? Why wouldn't you want to know more about your Lord? Why wouldn't you want to know about his eternality? Why wouldn't you want to know about his omniscience? Why wouldn't you want to know about his throne? Why wouldn't you want to know about his theophanies, his appearances in Tanakh, Old Testament? Why wouldn't you want to know his, about his decision to come from heaven to earth for you and I? Why wouldn't you want to know about the fact that he lived a life that you could never live? Why wouldn't you want to know what he teach and how he taught and how he lived? Why wouldn't you want to know that one uh, Friday uh, they hung him high and stretched him wide? Why, why wouldn't you want to know that, uh, that when he did what he was supposed to do in quoting scripture, he dropped his head in the locks of his shoulders? Why wouldn't you want to know that he was put in a borrowed tomb? Why wouldn't you want to know that on the third day he got up with all power in his hand? Why wouldn't you want to know that 40 days later he went into heaven and ascended and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty interceding on your behalf and waiting for his opportunity to return why wouldn't you want to know that one day the father's going to tap him on his shoulder a horse is going to pull in front of the throne of God where he sits and he's going to get on that horse's back and the, the third heaven is going to open the second heaven is going to open the first heaven is going to open why wouldn't you want to know that a myriad of people who he couldn't count is going to come with him why wouldn't you want to know that he's going to come back and he's going to wreck shop on this earth. Why wouldn't you want to know that those who are already on the earth who are is are going to meet him in the air and get new bodies and those who came with them are going to get new bodies. Why wouldn't you want to know that one day he's going to throw death and hell and Hades and the devil, the false prophet and all those that don't know him into hell and the lake of fire of forever. Why wouldn't you want to know that the heaven, that the heavens are going to open God's throne is going to come to earth and we will live in the new Jerusalem and across the planet. Why wouldn't you want to know that we're going to reign with him? Why wouldn't you want to know we're going to worship him? Why wouldn't you want to know that we're going to love him. Why wouldn't you want to know that we all going to be with him forever? Why wouldn't you want to know that sin is done with? Why wouldn't you want to know the king of kings and the lord of lords? Why wouldn't you want to know him? So my prayer, my prayer for you and I <coughs> is that our passion for the faith will be knowledgeable. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Maybe you're here today, and you don't know him. You've never met him as Savior. He wants to save you from his wrath. But he also wants to give you victory in life. But the only way to get either is to place your confidence in Jesus. Trust Jesus as your savior today that he died on the cross for your sins and got up from the grave on your behalf to replace you spending eternal conscious torment in hell. He loves you. That's why he died. Say yes to Jesus today. Say yes to his will. Say yes to it. Say yes to him. If that's you, comment, shoot us a line wherever you are, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Vimeo, whether you're on Facebook, wherever you are, 
Shoot us a line. Just put a comment in there. My folk will be scouring that thing. Jesus says to you, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you want to find rest today? Maybe you're in a group that has alternative beliefs about Jesus Christ. And you came on here and you got a lot of Bible and you got a lot of clarity. And you know that you're in something that you need help out of. We want to pray for you and we want to talk to you. Maybe you're here today and you just got caught up in here and you thought it was just good information, but the Holy Spirit started stirring you up on the inside. I want I want you to place your confidence in Jesus today. But then I want to talk to the believer. I want you to recommit your life today. Somebody out there today that's a believer that you have treated Christianity as if it was a shallow, boring faith. And you need to repent today of your anemia and laziness in studying God's word. And you, some of you are near falling away from the faith. You, through this pandemic, there's some of you that have been watching YouTube channels and not in your Bible. And what's end up happening is you're hearing stuff on YouTube and stuff in the world, and you're not fact checking it. You're not getting help from people who can help equip you. You just, you just, you just taking some YouTube channel and some pseudo philosophy and running with it. I want to pray for you now. In your living room, where you are, you can stand where you are. Act like we're coming to the altar like we used to. I want to talk to you. I want to minister to you today. I want to minister to you today. Some of you are hurting and don't realize that remembering the truth about who Jesus Christ is can heal the hurt or give stability in the midst of a storm. Some of you need to repent of not holding up the truth but being a coward. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm trying to call you to repentance. You've been a coward. You've been afraid. You've been dismissive. <clears throat> you've, some of you out there <clears throat> have even been judgmental of God himself. I want you to repent today. How dare you judge him? Repent today. Father, I pray for all those who are rededicating or repenting of something today. Thank you for those who place their confidence in Jesus. But also I pray for those who are saying I want to go deeper. I want to just be in my word, get in the word and get around others to help me to understand the word and be equipped. Lord God, I pray that droves, I pray that thousands of Christians would experience a revival in their spiritual lives. That you bring revival to your church. Break the apathy of knowing you. Most of us are only only want physical things in our life. But God, we want you in our life as well. And so, God, I pray that you would break shackles and bonds, set folk free and help them to see you. It's in Jesus mighty name we pray. Amen. Just some resources we have. They're going to make where you can connect with the Bible study method stuff. If you want to get back into the Bible study methods, I'm going to have the team make that available through some format. Um, uh, for our members. Also, uh, the, uh, the uh, American Bible Society is having a Bible year deal. I was with them last week and they're doing some stuff with Bible year. So go to their website and look up um, 
Bible year and start getting in your reading your Bible, but then also resources to help you deepen and study it. All right. Love you. Time for communion. Communion is a time to celebrate the death of Jesus. Time to celebrate the fact that he everything to tell he manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit. Uh, yes, he was and taken up in glory, but he'll return again and we'll have a supper with him. And we'll see the restoration of all things in him. But until then, we celebrate him. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, this is my cup, this is my body, which is given up for you. Let us eat together. He took the cup and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my blood, blood of the new and everlasting covenant which was shed for you and for many for the remission of sins. Let us drink together. Jesus Christ, Lord of all, help us to take our faith in you seriously. Help us to live for you and stand firm in you. Help us to remember that our identity, we're pillars and we're foundations. We are the pillar and the foundation, rather. The church is the universal church, the pillar and foundation for the truth. Help us to act our identity. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Take care. Love you. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder and pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.